we have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. Good evening, folks. You're listening to the Hour of the Time. I'm William Cooper. The is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song. Time, weather, and... Highways! Veteran of three foreign wars, entrepreneur, and warrior poet, Tony Arterburn takes on the issues facing our country, civilization, and planet. This is the Arterburn Radio Transmission. It's the official broadcast of the apocalypse. Weapons grade truth, cutting edge counterculture, conservative radio. Minus the conservative, I guess. <laughs> I don't want to conserve anything. Not this current reality. Maybe we can talk about restoration. Hey, folks, welcome. This is the Arterburn Radio Transmission. I am your host, Tony Arterburn. It is the 8th of December, 2023. We're almost at the end of this year. It's going to give up the ghost here, folks. Really close to the end of the year. I'm back in my Branson studio. I'm told by my crew here in Branson that it's supposed to be a tea time with Tony and then I should do the show on Tuesdays. And I just, I don't know. That's too many teas, uh, but we'll see. <laughs> I've definitely got my tea because I've had too much coffee already. I went to the gym this morning, uh, a little plug for the 24 hour gym that I have here in Hollister, Missouri. It's great to be back and get a couple hours in the gym. And while I was training, I was thinking of the interview I did yesterday with David Knight. Usually on Thursdays, I go on David Knight. We talk about gold and Bitcoin and the monetary system and uh, Armageddon. And uh, one of the questions that came in was about the book uh, Truth is a Lonely Warrior by my friend James Perloff. And I, I've loved that book for many years. Uh, I've had uh, James on the show. Uh, he's such a smart man, uh, so well-read, so well-studied, uh, so thoughtful. And, um, of course, yesterday was December 7th, which is the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, you know, uh, December 7th, 1941, a date that will live in infamy. Well, it should live in infamy because if you actually study history and you think for more than five minutes and you look at the scholarship, there's something very wrong with that story. There's something wrong with a lot of the origin stories of the events that get us into a war. Like you should always be skeptical because that's the that's the moment where you know the first casualty of war is the truth, right? Because you, you gotta you gotta uh, put that aside because it's rushed to war. We can't think. It's kind of like what happened, you know, after the October seventh attacks in Israel. You were told not to think. We can't think this through. It's no time, no negotiations, no nothing. Nothing's everything's off the table. It's just war. Always be skeptical of that. And while I was talking to David, I, I just 
stream of consciousness remembered something that George H.W. Bush had said on the anniversary of the 50th anniversary of Pearl Harbor while he was president. And uh, it was a speech that he gave, and he said something really disgusting. And he linked the America First movement as an ally of Japan. Uh, he actually, and I want to, I want to quote him because I went and looked up the speech. If you guys will give me a second, I'll put this on the screen. But this is something it really smacks of the elitism, and we're going to talk a little. I'm just going to read an excerpt from this speech to start off the show. Let's talk a little history. I mean, I can go into Hunter Biden's new indictment for writing off uh, uh, deductions for a stripper if you want. I might talk about that. We can talk about the death of the. U.S. dollar and how why you know it's baffling to to the uh, f- financial wizards on the networks why gold is up why they can't figure it out we can talk a little bit about that maybe a little foreign policy but it's December eighth it's the day after let's talk a little bit about the anniversary of Pearl Harbor and let's talk about uh, George H W Bush Mr Skull and Bones because I I want to go into something he said and let's see how well this speech has held up. Let's see how, how is this aged? Uh, this is, uh, this is from the New York times and, uh, excuse all my screen, all the screen here, the, the computer has the ads flash across it, but I'm just trying to get to the meat of the story. I want you guys to see this. And this, again, this is the 50th anniversary. Uh, so it's in 1991, uh, George HW Bush is still president. He says, the enemy mistook our diversity, our nation's diversity, for weakness. But Pearl Harbor became a rallying cry for men and women from all walks of life, all colors and creeds. And in the end, this unity of purpose made us invincible in war and now makes us secure in peace. Well, um, I don't know about you, but uh, diversity is, I guess, okay, but it's not really a strength. and um, and we found that out in the in the 21st century in our Tower of Babel society where nobody can trust anyone. And, you know, there's multiculturalism as a god and all that. Um, but in 1941, we were one nation and one people. Yeah, there were different races, but we had the, pretty much the same language, the same history, the same heroes, the same uh, radio stations that we tuned into. We were all share a shared experience of the Great Depression we'd all gone through. Uh, it was a different country. Um, so I don't know if the Japanese were looking at this sounds, this really looks like a lot like the nine post nine 11, like they hate us for our freedom, which that's not true. (laughs) They hate us for what we do. Uh, but they don't hate us for our freedom. And if they hate us for our freedom, you know, I always ask the question, well, can they just be our friends now since we don't have much, but I thought this was a, this is such an elitist line. Of course it was not written by him most likely, but. Let's continue because he really gets into the meat of this and what, why I've, I've remembered this for so many years. It says, ironically, isolationists gathered together at what was known in those days as the America First rally in Pittsburgh at precisely the moment the first Americans met early violent deaths right here at Pearl Harbor. The isolationists failed to see that the seeds of Pearl Harbor were sown back in 1919 when a victorious America decided that in the absence of a threatening enemy abroad, we should turn all of our energies inward. 
And what he's talking about is the 1919 Treaty of Versailles post-World War I, which was really a Carthaginian peace. is an unfair peace. It sowed the seeds of what was to be the Second World War. Even you know, head of Britain, Lord George, saw that clearly, that we were sowing the seeds for the next war because we were so punitive, punishing Germany, humiliating them after they agreed to the ceasefire, agreed to the armistice. And it was very, very punishing, very over the top, sowing the seeds. As a matter of fact, th- let's just break this whole statement down. Americans, you know, are not to blame for the opening of World War II. Matter of fact, our Senate, even look, we have, we have our politicians are politicians across the board, but they were a lot wiser back at the, you know, uh, early. 1920s, late, you know, late 19 teens, because we had a different system, a different America, different society. They turned their back on the League of Nations. That's what he's referring to. It kept us out of global governance, which is what that whole thing was for. It's why they set up the Council on Foreign Relations after we rejected it to do an in run around our sovereignty so they could in, they could infiltrate our institutions of government. But I'm this this statement. That we're that the Americans were responsible because we were heeding the wisdom of George Washington to stay out of uh, entangling alliances. We were heeding the wisdom of Thomas Jefferson, peace, commerce, honest friendship. We were heeding the, the wisdom of John Quincy Adams. America was not designed to go abroad in search of monsters to destroy. So here's Mr. Skull and Bones talking about how America was responsible. The America First movement, again, he's labeling the politicians in 1919 saying we turned our back and then America first movement, but America didn't see the war. The first world war is something that was necessary. We got conned into that war. 150,000 American troops died, hundreds of thousands wounded for what to make the world not safe for democracy. Cause that's not what it did. It made the world safe for Hitler and Stalin. America's Americans saw that. You know, it was the Russian Revolution, the Bolsheviks, founded and funded by the banksters. Americans were smarter back then. They knew this. They knew that the richest people in the world funded communism. You can see it in the cartoons. We've long since forgotten that because we were put into a a fake class war about communism versus capitalism, which really wasn't even real because the people at the top that controlled the money supply used communism as an operating system for control, to pit things against each other, for balance, for a Hegelian dialectic, okay? So this is stupid on its face. Americans didn't want to do a second world war. Matter of fact, in the election in 1940, prior to this, an FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, Delano Roosevelt, ran on a campaign of keeping us out of war, much like his predecessor, much like uh, Wilson in 1916 ran on the slogan, he kept us out of war. FDR said, you know, I've seen war and I hate war and your boys won't be sent to another foreign war. Well, guess what? He sowed the seeds for the attack by the Japanese, cutting off their oil, cutting off their rubber supply, bolstering our positions in the Pacific 
you know, they had a memorandum that came out. David Knight talked about this yesterday, October 7th, 1940. It was a 10-point plan of how to agitate the Japanese into making a first attack. And it goes deeper. You know, we talk about the scholarship of the historian uh, Tolan back in 1980, released a book called Infamy, which my friend James Perloff references in Truth is a Lonely Warrior. It's the scholarship, the journalism, the real history is showing, and even people like Gore Vidal saw this, that obviously the Japanese attacked us on December 7th, 1941. They were stupid to do so. They were goaded into it. And then once our leaders knew that they were going to do it, they set it up in a way where they would have maximum damage, not taking out our aircraft carriers, though, maximum damage, and they could have scapegoats, which is Admiral Kimmel and General Short that were there. And they asked, by the way, for a court martial. You can look this up. The, the Admiral and the General that were overseeing Pearl uh, wanted the courts martial. They wanted to have the evidence shown. And the military fought them on it. They didn't want the courts martial. And then when the, when the court martial finally happened after World War II, the jury was so angry, they threw the case out because it was so damning that the government had prior knowledge. The United States government had cracked the Japanese code called purple. They cracked it. Now you had congressmen uh, visiting the president. Hey, I've got uh, evidence. I've got, there's chatter going on. There's going to be some kind of event. The Japanese are getting ready for an attack uh, in the Pacific. It, you know, one of our outposts, it could be Pearl. They had uh, cables that were intercepted. I mean, it's, you know, the court historians act like this. Everybody is surprised. Like, this, it's so out of the blue. As a matter of fact, one of the most damning pieces of evidence was the daughter uh, of the head of the Red Cross. And she, she did a sworn affidavit because this was a, in, in their family, this was always the story that was told. Their father was called in the day before to the Roosevelt White House to be told that he was needed to ready his services for Hawaii. Because there's going to be some casualties. There's going to be some, there's going to be an event they believed, but there was no prior warning given to any of the military command at Pearl Harbor. Now, I know it's hard to wrap your head around this because if you have a soul, if you love this country, how would you allow it to be attacked, right? Regardless of the political implications. Because if you can, if you can show that Pearl Harbor was a Lee hop, a let it happen on purpose, then what the hell else is? You see what we see where I'm going with this? That's why James Perloff opens up Truth is a Lonely Warrior with Pearl Harbor. And that's why it's so important to listen to these establishment hacks, our overlords, Mr. Skull and Bones, George H.W. Bush, who's no longer with us. But this is the kind of dribble that this man traffics in and trafficked in and so does his son and this is this is the most dan this makes my blood boil when he says this the notion of isolationism flew escort for the very bombers that attacked our men 50 years ago he's saying that the america first movement was the wingman to the japanese americans who just wanted peace who didn't see any sort of logic in sacrificing our sons to a banker's war in Europe. I could pick apart all of their logic for World War II, 
I mean, gosh, folks, does anybody realize it's the British that declared war on Germany in 1939, not the other way around? September 1st, 1939, the Third Reich invades Poland because of the port of Danzig that was taken during the Treaty of Versailles that he's mentioning that was German. And there was no negotiation from the Poles. I'm not saying they were right. I'm just saying it was a separate issue that was dating back to this treaty that he's talking about in this speech that he gave in 1991. So the British declared war on Germany on September 1st or September 4th or whatever it was, right after the attack. It was the British that declared war on Germany. And at the end of the war that, you know, Mr. Bush and so many others say it was the good war and we had to fight it and all these things that were so necessary, 50 million dead, you know, the atomic bomb unleashed on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Again, the world turned upside down. And guess what? At the end of the war, we gave Poland to Stalin. So don't start with me on what's virtuous. This is so ridiculous. And just thinking about him saying that yesterday, I said, I'm going to open up my show because, you know, you get so much drivel from these court historians. They don't think. And we're told just to, you know, shut up. And this is the history channel. This is how it went. And everybody is surprised. And, you know, you got to think through these these narratives, because they're meant to rob you of your freedom, because we're going to be given a new narrative soon, and it's going to be meant to consolidate power from the top. <laughs> yeah, And now we stand triumphant for the third time this century, this time in the wake of the Cold War. As in 1919 and 1945, we face no enemy menacing our security, and yet we stand here today on the side of tragedy spawned by isolationism. Wow. He even mentions uh, protectionism, which is what the country was built on <laughs> as a menace. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. The vision of these people that wrote this speech, to what America was supposed to do post-Cold War, when we, we absolutely did win the Cold War, and we had an opportunity to re rebuild the republic and have peace for a hundred years or longer. We could have, we could have remade everything. We could have helped other societies rebuild. We could have, we could have uh, exported American constitutional values and the Bill of Rights worldwide. No, we went on a Trotskyite revolutionary democracy war. We went on a quest for democracy, which is not part of our, that's the, that's the key word for the ruling elite. It's not, nobody goes around creating constitutional republics. <laughs> it's all about democracy, you know, making the, <laughs> making the world safe for mankind, democratizing the world. And I'm doing my best George W. Bush impression, but you see what I'm getting at. We, these leaders that, that believed that isolationists caused World War II and Pearl Harbor are the ones that bankrupted this country. These are the same people that had a class project called the Iraq War, Operation Iraqi Liberation. Do you guys know that story? Do you guys know about uh, Operation Iraqi Liberation? That's what they called the Iraq War, by the way. Ari Fleischer went out as soon as the bomb started falling on March 18th, 2003. I know this date very well because I was watching it. I had orders to go. 
But he came out and said, uh, Operation Iraqi Liberation has begun. And somebody wrote it down and said, hey, do you know that's uh, spells oil? (laughs) They're just, you you wonder if they're doing it on purpose. I tend to think that at least half the time they are. But they ruined, they these same visionaries that said that we were we were isolationist and protectionist and we caused all these uh, things to happen. These are the same people that bankrupted this country, destroyed our military, destroyed our 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 security. That that put that put us in a a collision course with cultural Marxism at home. That had our our borders are broken. That outsourced all of our jobs. They pawned America's soul and they lecture us about how we wanted peace and freedom and we wanted to be able to compete economically. Ignoring all the wisdom of our founding fathers. Well, guess what? Who's smarter? The founding fathers, the people, the geniuses that set up this country as a constitutional republic or these elitists that wrecked it and bankrupted it? A controlled demolition. The calls are coming from inside the house. It's our own... The biggest enemies we have are the people that have control over our institutions and the narrative. You see how stupid this is so many years later? I was 11 years old. Didn't age well. All right, folks, we'll jump into some headlines. Just a little bit of history. I mean, know your history. Past his prologue, as it says in front of the National Archives. <laughs> I wonder if Sandy Berger saw that when he was stuffing all those documents in his pants in the late 90s. I wonder if he saw past his prologue. All right, folks, let me go to the Rockfin chat if you're uh, catching the Arterburn radio transmission. Uh, if you're hearing my voice, if you'd like to see the video version, you can. there's two ways. You can go to uh, Rockfin, that's R-O-K-F-I-N.com on the America Unplugged channel. Or you can go to my Twitter, at Tony Arterburn. And uh, we we go live on Fridays, and I've got some news. We'll talk a little bit about uh, some shows I'm going to be doing next week. And we got an active chat. Um, I do have to plug Free World, freeworld.fm. Uh, we're working on it. Uh, if you go and, and sign up and check it out, and, and mark it as one of your favorites, so many great hosts there. I'll be there next week. My show will be live. We're going to bring back uh, the Wise Wolf Golden Crypto Show for some detailed analysis on the monetary system and uh, (laughs) currency and current events, Bitcoin and banksters, all that good stuff. And um, Artiburn Radio Transmission will be there. I'm debating, you know, I've got a whole slew of ideas for how many days. I might have a daily show again. It really just depends. If you guys will be here, perhaps I can. Uh, be there too. Uh, so go and check out Free World. Um, I want to say hi to all my listeners uh, over on Rockfin on the America Unplugged channel. Thanks. I, I saw Rhonda Tate was first in the uh, the chat. As I went live, I went and see see who was uh, who was watching. Uh, Angry Tigers there. Uh, Paul, happy Friday, Wise Wolf. Thank you, Paul. Uh, and of course, Yeka. She says uh, she's always active in the chat. Hello, peeps. Uh, Yekka's helping us with uh, social media here at Wise Wolf, doing a great job. If you guys notice uh, all the Wise Wolf and Wolfpack stuff, we're getting better. Uh, it's a little bit better every single day. And Wayne McCroy, a very smart man, 
uh, you guys go check out all of Wayne's stuff. He's over on Free World. I had to follow Wayne at the 9-11 uh, Free World Conference. Hard act to follow because I, I was doing stream of consciousness stuff from memory and <laughs> Wayne's, Wayne's got all the, the charts and the, uh, the symbology breakdown. And I'm going, oh, man, I, I didn't think this through, but I had a great time. It's uh, always good to see everybody in the chat. And of course, I got Beans of the Brave in the studio, uh, my 12 and a half pound uh, Chihuahua mix from the mean streets of San Antonio. She's back enjoying the Ozark Mountains and uh, all of her her crew up here that she she loves so much. So we're having a great Friday. Uh, we'll jump into some more headlines and I got some more stuff to plug to. Uh, we're about halfway or so through the show. I've got to, as soon as this is done, I got to jump off of here and I've got to a zoom meeting, um, for Anarchapoco. Um, I'm sponsoring, uh, Anarchapoco this uh, coming year. Uh, Charlie Robinson is hosting. I'll be talking about gold and, uh, of course, silver and the monetary system and, uh, what's happening globally. You guys, uh, hear me talk about that every single, <laughs> every single show. And, uh, of course on the David Knight show as well, but Anarchapoco is going to be cool. All the anarchists and libertarians and free thinkers and I wonder how many contacts I'll make down there. I bet a lot, but it, it's going to be uh, an honor to speak. So I'm working on getting everything set up for Anarchapoco in February. You should go. You should go check it out. You want to come meet me? I'll be there in February. All right. I saw this uh, report. <laughs> Let's see. Let me share the screen really quick. Uh, I saw this and thought, what? I love the the establishment narrative is so silly. Um, because they have a job to do, you know, and that job is to kind of lull you into thinking that everything's okay. It's a, it's one of the hallmarks. It's either be very terrified or just calm down. Like it's, there's, there's a, there's a two pronged attack, like calm down on the things that you should be, uh, worried about and be worried about the things that you should be calm about. Am I making sense? Let's check out this story. I saw this on CNBC. Inflation expectations plunge in closely watched University of Michigan survey. Inflation expectations plunge. Okay. Uh, have you seen the price of groceries? <laughs> okay. Are, are, have, we, have we reached peak inflation, folks? Is that how fiat currency works? It just stops and everything's good and it, it houses value. <laughs> Is that why people are bringing up the the scene on home alone when he gets groceries and has like 20 something bucks and it's a cart full of things. And people have been like, Oh, it's, it's up like 236% since that. Yeah. Because it's fiat currency loses value constantly. So inflation is part of the future. Whatever you, whatever your, you know, expectations are just realize that it's going to lose purchasing power. So I want to read a little bit of this because this is part of the game. Uh, consumer fears over inflation tumbled in December amid declining energy prices and the impact of interest rates hikes as they take hold. Uh, in the, the latest University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment survey released Friday, the one-year outlook for inflation rate slid to 3.1%, down sharply from 4.5. All right, so this is a, you know, <laughs> statistics don't lie, but liars use statistics. Um <laughs> the the five year outlook also moved lower down two point eight percent to from three point two okay whatever that means 
but Federal Reserve officials consider consumer expectations as a key in the way inflation moves. So the switch in sentiment could further convince policymakers to keep interest rates on hold and possibly start cutting in 2024. You see where this is going? This is they're going to cut rates, folks. That's what they're going to do because you got an election year. They really don't have a choice. Um, the the grand chessboard globally of what I th- what I think they've been doing uh, the last year and a half or so has been raising rates the fastest rate in history. Jerome Powell. Uh, more interest rate hikes in a faster time than Paul Volcker, who headed the Fed in the 1970s, who took us to to the interest rates in the teens. So anyway, they moved it faster. That's to keep the dollar, quote unquote, strong because we're the world's reserve currency. And all these countries have been dumping the dollar and it's really accelerated since Russia uh, just said, no, Moss, we're done. They won't even accept dollars. And they started trading outside of the system because of all the sanctions. And the other countries took note because we have 40 sanctions on 36 different countries. And I think Janet Yellen just added some more sanctions. So I'm probably wrong on that statistic. We're just punishing everyone with our sanctions, thinking everybody's going to accept the dollar. Well, that's why they're building alternatives. I, I can't stress enough. The reason, and a lot of this is they're dump, they're using oil dumped in from the strategic reserve. They've opened up a a few key things. This is an election year move and the fed will work hand in hand with whoever is in the white house. Most of the time, right? It depends, really depends, but especially if it serves their own ends. But if you think that, that something's going to get back, the dollar is going to strengthen somehow. And it will go back to like, you know, 2005 pricing or something like the, the amount of damage that's been done to the dollar is, is mortal. 80% of all the dollars ever created were created in the last 48 months from the beginning of the country to now. And you're telling me that they have surveys that people are thinking, you know, that inflation, <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really under control now. So I think it's about time to lower the interest rate. Do you see how the news works? And I'm not an expert, but I can promise you that there's something connecting this to an establishment narrative that they want you to absorb and take, you know, this is something you need to believe to be true, that everything's okay. Stop worrying. Stop looking at all these, these figures and facts that the dollar doesn't buy as much as it used to. And I'd hate to tell you folks, but sometimes lack of price, right? The, the falling price in something is because there's not enough demand because you have a faltering economy. If you remember the uh, post 2008, 2009 great recession, uh, crude oil fell to like $35 a barrel or something because the demand was down. I know this because I was running gasoline stations. So my family's been doing since 79. So I know a little thing about that, that there was consumer uh, demand was high because we had a lot of uh, liquidity floating around the market. Credit was up because it was cheap and it was easy to get. We were creating new dollars every single minute and, you know, uh, trillions upon trillions. And that's what, that's what got the economy. And then they slowed it down because there was a crash. There was, you know, the, the great recession. They had the bailout, 
was too big to fail and too big to jail. He had to use TARP funds and Hank Paulson's on his knees begging Nancy Pelosi to release the funds so they can bail out the banks. Kind of seems quaint now after, after COVID-1984. I mean, that was only $700 billion. Remember something George W. Bush said? He's this sucker's going down is what they told him when they showed him the stats on the economy. It's a long way around saying, folks, these kind of stories are stupid because the dollar is not going to have a bounce back. It's it's gonna it has purchasing power. It's psychological. It's the way the system works. It's the way all fiat currency is like you give it, you're paying attention to it, you give it value psychologically. But everybody knows mathematics kicks in. It buys less and less. They become more ubiquitous. Another stat that I talked to David Knight about yesterday was the fact that the Mises Institute has noticed something very odd. The money supply is actually shrinking, right? It's, it's, been, it's shrinking faster than any time since the Great Depression. And that's because we made so many dollars. We created so many units. And it's shrinking right now. Again, fastest shrink rate since the Great Depression. And it's an indicator of something. That the, the dollars aren't flowing through the system like they used to. And it's shrinking. They're not cre being created. There's not new credit being created. Because in our society, the way that credit works, like when you go buy a house, that money didn't exist before. The banks, along with the central bank, create it. They create those funds. So that goes into the system. Those are new funds. When you get a credit card, get a new credit card, get a line of credit, swipe that credit card, that's money creation. That's currency creation. So that didn't, didn't exist before. That starts to slow down when credit starts to dry up. Credit's drying up because they raised the interest rates. So they release a story like this to say, we're about to goose the economy and we're going to lower rates. Because it's just time because inflation's under control. It's transient, just like, just like Janet Yellen said, just like Jerome Powell said. Well, don't you even believe it. And we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the gold price, uh, here in just a minute. And we'll, let's talk a little foreign policy too, while we're on the subject and while we're on the subject of, of fake money and where it goes and inflation, I saw this and, you know, if you live long enough and you're humble enough and try to, again, don't make too many predictions, but just observe like I've done with the Ukraine debacle, I've been saying for a long time, this doesn't look right. <laughs> Looking at the headlines on Drudge. Does anybody remember the headlines on Drudge from, oh, let's say uh, a year and a half ago, somewhere around there, where they were saying a thousand Russians a week are killed. The Russia is bleeding troops. It's thousands of Russians. I started adding this up and I go, that's not possible. If you know anything about modern warfare, if you know anything about casualty rates or, I mean, just, you don't have to be an expert, but just know anything like to have paid attention to how many people die, how many troops die. I pay attention to that because I was a troop. I, I paid attention to modern warfare and it didn't make any sense. And I thought this can't be right. And this is like some of the, the stuff that flows through drudge. Because you got to wonder what Drudge is now. Like I checked Drudge because 
of Sun Tzu's uh, maxim to know your enemy. I checked the mainstream media because I want to know what Operation Mockingbird wants me to think. And they wanted me to think that Russia was getting completely wiped out and there's no uh, no hope for them. And it's it's the tide is turning and Zelensky's a hero. And I went, uh-oh, we got ourselves a winner here. This is propaganda 101. This doesn't even make any sense. The T-shirt man? The T-shirt man is the new Winston Churchill? Because even Winston Churchill wasn't Winston Churchill, but I'm sure Zelensky's not. The mythos. And what a swift fall. Because now you got it. The, the poor guy, you know, he goes to the, <laughs> the little gala. He's wearing his little uniform. <laughs> and he's not popular. You know, he's wants your money. <laughs> Uh, so many memes have been created. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, but let's look at this story. Let me pull it up here. I, I am my own producer. Let me pull up the, uh, the story I found on natural news today. This is so much fun. It's never enough. The NATO chief warns more aid for Ukraine. North Atlantic treaty organization, NATO. And by the way, this is me talking. Why do we have NATO? Can anybody, anybody in the, Bueller, anybody in the back tell me why we have NATO? It was started by Eisenhower in the Cold War, a General Eisenhower. Before he was president, he was head of NATO. It was to uh, put a bulwark between the West and what was left of the territories that we had after World War II and the Soviet Empire. Well, when I was uh, 11 years old, the Soviet Empire disappeared and broke into 16 pieces. We gave verbal promises to Gorbachev. That was Secretary of State James Baker did this. Gave verbal promises to Gorbachev under the gave the word of the U.S. that we would not expand NATO, and we did. They had something called the Warsaw Pact. Where's the Warsaw Pact? How come the war? If NATO exists, what happened to Warsaw? Oh, I forgot. It it disappeared. So the whole purpose of it was to fight this. So, so what is NATO for now? My, one of my favorite stories, didn't Russia, I want to say Russia applied for NATO. <laughs> let, let us into NATO if it's what if it's a security organization. Uh, I see what it's for. Uh, this, the Secretary General of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg, has warned about potential negative developments in the Ukraine-Russia conflict, emphasizing the need to support Ukraine during both favorable and challenging phases. Um, what's the favorable part? We just have to stay the course. This is also about our security interests, Soltenberg said during a meeting of NATO foreign ministers in Brussels. While acknowledging Ukraine's recent counteroffenses and their limited territorial gains, Stoltenberg highlighted the significance of smaller victories like pushing Russian forces back along the Dnipro River's eastern bank. Wars develop in phases. We have to support Ukraine. In both good and bad times, we should also be prepared for bad news. <laughs> yeah, we should be prepared for a lot of bad news. Uh, it's imploding. And the Treasury's been looted. Operation Money Laundering is completely in effect. They've almost got it done. Um, so I would slowly start. If you, I, I would be backing away. Because Russia... If you know anything about the old Soviet Union or Russia in general, um, you know, I thought this was this was supposed to be that uh, wasn't Vladimir Putin supposed to be invading 
Germany and Poland and Romania. Wasn't he supposed to like re reset the old Soviet empire? What happened to all those? I thought he was the new Hitler, you know, but this is what they're always pushing is that there's going to be some kind of massive catastrophe. I mean, then, uh, by the way, I'm not a Russophile. I have no time. I don't care. It's not my country. But I can tell something is, I can smell a rat when it, you're, I'm being fed something that is nonsense, which is the entire narrative of what Ukraine is. I mean, they, they're supposed to be supporting democracy. They cancel elections and have dissidents and any sort of opponents to the government narrative arrested. The U.S. has spent over $40 billion in security aid to Ukraine's since February of 2022. The U.S. has poured more than $40 billion in security aid to Ukraine since the start of the Russia's special military operations there in February of 2022 and pledged more support for as long as necessary. However, some $61 billion in proposed aid to Ukraine has yet to be acted on by Congress, while another $50 billion package from the European Union is struggling to pass due to opposition from Hungary. We have exhausted funds and aid in this conflict. This is not an issue for next year, stated Office of Management of Budget, uh, Shalanda Young, in a letter to Speaker Mike Johnson. The moment to assist Democratic Ukraine in combating Russia aggression is immediate. Congress must take action now. Well, it's not immediate, and it's not necessary, and it's a waste. And it's not our business. And messing around and with this type, I mean, it's amazing. And it must be God's providence, like just mercy on us that we didn't get dragged into a, and we haven't yet. And I'm, I'm so thankful we haven't get, get, didn't get dragged into a bloody shooting kinetic war with Russia over a territory that has nothing to do with us. That we instigated we have we have put ukraine on a track to join nato which is right on the border of russia this is violating our own word that we gave to end to to bring the cold war to a peaceful end you realize how much bad blood we've built up because we expanded NATO. people like john mccain uh, never saw a war he didn't love, 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 and so does Lindsey Graham because that's his raison d'etre. I mean, he's got a lot of other demons, I'm sure. You ever listen to Lindsey Graham? I'm sure he has. A, he, I'm sure he has a lot of struggles with who he actually is. So his one thing is, it's everything's got to be external because he can't fight the war in himself. He's got to fight the war out there. Oh, actually, he can't fight the war. Your sons and daughters need to do that. And we got to get to Ukraine because Zelensky's for democracy. I mean, he's just having all of his opponents arrested. And they can't have elections because freedom. But you should die for it. And we need to send more money because that's always the answer. I mean, just look at our education system here, right? It gets, gets better with money. I mean, we spend trillions in the Middle East. Did we get the terrorist? Did we get them? Oh, they're back. Okay. <laughs> If you if you add up the amount of it's funny because we drive around this country that land that I love that's falling apart and neglected absentee landlords like Tucker Carlson when he you know for all whatever you think about Tucker Carlson he wrote a book called Ship of Fools and he had a line in there about how do people uh, that uh, how can you have people that run the country also hate the country because they do I mean they 
you do you love something you neglect? Because that's what they've done. They've completely neglected this country, the airports, the bridges, uh, the, the waterways, the, the highways. It's, it's, it's an embarrassment to how much wealth we actually squandered. And we squandered it on wars and given it to people like Zelensky and given it to these military. And it's a big money laundering kitty for the military industrial complex. And they can't win. And what is the war about? I saw uh, Vivek Ramaswamy got into a tangle with uh, Brian Kilmeade oh, on Fox News. Why are, is any, are people still watching Fox News? Why would you watch Fox News? <laughs> Why? It's what, what demo, what demographic does that capture? It's so boring. Why would you, it's just, it's just the military industrial complex. And I mean, Sean Hannity wears his little lapel pin for the CIA. Why, why are you watching that? What, what is the, I mean, the, any, any, any sort of periphery to the truth and you're going to get banned off of there. You'll never make it on there. So it's just, it's just ridiculous. But Brian Kilmeade's very upset, uh, for, us not being more involved in Ukraine because we got to get over there. You hear the echoes of George H.W. Bush and all these new modern commentators when you talk about isolationism and protectionism, dirty words. It actually built the country. Those two, whatever you mean by isolationism, oh, you mean I follow the Constitution that only Congress can declare war? What about Christian principles of what a just war is? Maybe we follow those. Maybe St. Augustine had a point. Maybe we should listen to people like that. Because the people that have run this country into the ditch and may have completely ruined it uh, irreparably, that's their vision. It's the Brian Kilmeade vision of endless war, open borders. I What did I call that years ago? Oh, it's the Alpha and Omega. That's what that is. It's the Alpha and Omega of empire. Invade the world, invite the world. You invade the world, and then you invite the world to come. That's the Alpha and the Omega of empire. So I'm not following your advice. I like George Washington. He's a lot smarter than you, Brian. And for that matter... (laughs) Most everybody else too, but somehow on Fox News, Lord. Okay, we got a little bit of time left. <laughs> so if if I upset you because you love the aid to Ukraine, I'm you know I'm not sorry. Um, and uh, frankly, you should you should do some some meditation and pray and prayer and think about why you why you're so obsessed with it and why you want that to continue. All right, let's go to one more article here. This is Peter Schiff. Uh, from Shift Gold, and this is from Zero Hedge. See, I didn't talk about um, Hunter Biden's new indictment, uh, tax his tax fraud that he tried to write. <laughs> I mean, that's the highlight. He tried he tried to deduct the cost of a Venmo to a aging stripper. Okay, um, but I, you know, he's a Biden, so you know. Hunter Biden's really lucky that he doesn't want to protect innocent life or he's, you know, not anti-war or uh, pro-free speech. I mean, they'd have buried him underneath the jail. Can you imagine? I mean, for less. I mean, for even doing something right. It must be like if you're a globalist goblin or the son of one, 
you can pretty much do whatever you like. You know, you just kind of, whatever the establishment says, if you don't, if you don't break out of their narrative box, then you're protected for life. I mean, you're doing great, but if you love freedom and uh, if you have Christian principles or believe in morality or that you should be a decent man or a human being, oh man, oh, God have mercy on you. You cross these uh, bureaucrats. All right, let's let's go one last story here. We'll get you guys out of it. Thanks for joining me on this Friday, by the way. Always fun. This is Gold's Day. Peter Schiff warns the dollar is going to lose a lot more value. Huh, I wonder where he gets that. This is uh, Peter Schiff from Schiff Gold. Peter Schiff recently appeared on the Clan Man Count or is Clayman Countdown, okay, <laughs> with creative uh, planning president Peter Malik to talk about the recent record high in gold and the trajectory of the markets over the next few months. Malik is bullish on the stock market, but, but Schiff makes the case that it's gold's day. The S&P 500 has gained about 19% on the year, but Malik pointed out that if you stretch the timeline to two years, the index is basically flat. For that reason, he said he is bullish. He said we've seen rates go up, and people are starting to see somewhat of a reasonable soft landing. He's talking about the rate increases and the strong dollar and curtailing inflation. He says, barring something unexpected, he says the future looks very bright. Meanwhile, gold surged to a new record high of $2,135 early Sunday morning before pulling back sharply on Monday. Clayman pointed out that gold typically moves down as treasury yields increase. So what is the longer term outlook for the yellow, yellow metal? Peter said, Peter Schiff said, this is gold's day. I know we are $100 lower than already, but we've got some profit taking, which is true. He said the big spike is up, but I think uh, 2000 is now the support for gold. I mean, it could trade slightly below it, but this is not the end of the bull market. It's the beginning. I, I kind of commented on this yesterday. Um, on the David Knight show, I totally agree here, except I would take it a step further to not understand that in the face of the fastest rate hikes in history by the Fed, that it didn't do any, it didn't even slow gold's trajectory. That was supposed to bring gold back into the 1300 you know, $1,400 level, and it didn't. And the reason is because in something they don't really talk about in the financial networks is the massive demand from central banks. You've got to understand the central banks around the world, they're all preparing for a revaluation of currencies. Not, not only the dollar, but all currencies. There's going to be a massive revaluation of fiat currencies worldwide because of the debt and because of the obligations and because of the money supply. It's it's too far gone. You guys should see this the should look this up. You should look at global debt from the time of recorded history. They have a line that shows global debt, goes bounces around, shows the 19th century, shows the 20th century, and then it shows, you know, the 1971 post global debt. And it's just massive, folks. You can't uh, you, world debt off the charts because we went to a fiat currency after Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. Peter Schiff is saying that this is the beginning of the gold bull market, not the end. I'm saying this is the beginning of the end of a system, the entire system of debt and central bank, central planning 
and the Federal Reserve and all, all of that intervention into our economy, that system is dying. That system right now is on trial because it has, <laughs> it has completely bankrupted uh, our future. And there's going to have to be a new system in place of that. Now, I think, and this is something we can get into on future shows, I think what you have to watch out for here, in the midst of this, which I think they have a plan, which is to bring in the central bank digital currency, is to say that's the savior, that's what saves you. Uh, we have a, a loss of purchasing power because there's so many other countries make a run on the dollar, sell off their dollar holdings. Those dollars come home. That's called Triffin's Dilemma when those trillions of dollars are repatriated, crushing the dollar's value, the only way for us to get out of a current economic crisis is to print. And when you print, you monetize the debt, you therefore weaken the dollar more. There is no solution here without having some sort of, of new monetary system in place. The current one will not make it. It can't. It's mathematically impossible. And especially in the, in the face of uh, global demand for dollars shrinking. The money velocity is shrinking. So it's something to pay attention to. I'm not even giving investment advice because I don't do that. What I'm telling you is, is that gold and silver are money in the face of currency that's fake. That's it. And you can talk about the stock market and the S&P 500 and all these things. Gold went up 2,000% from 1971 to 1979. Show me a stock. Show me, show me where, where's 2000%. Show me the 2000% in the, the Dow Jones. Is it 2000%? And guess what? The crazy part about that is it didn't really go up at all. It's the dollar went down in value. It's the inverse. All right, folks, uh, appreciate all of you. Thanks for being here. Uh, I am going to plug a little bit. Remember, wisewolfgoldandsilver.com. Uh, that is the place where you can go and get in contact with us. We we can set up a even a, a $20 transaction. It's any, there's unlimited. You can do as high as you want or low as you want. We don't discriminate. If you guys want to put, get your hands on some metals, you give us a call. If you need to sell some precious metals, wisewolfgoldandsilver.com. We pay very high, and uh, we're proud of that. We're a professional gold and silver exchange, whether that's gold jewelry, whether that's gold coins, whether it's uh, silver. Uh, we take care of all of it. Uh, wisewolfgoldandsilver.com. Remember our membership program too, which is wolfpack.gold. You can get there by going to any of the Wise Wolf sites, but wolfpack.gold, monthly membership, uh, low as 50 bucks a month, no contract, just we buy your metals for you, goes all the way up to 1,000 plus. So go check out wolfpack.gold. We've got almost 800 members across the country and uh, we're growing every day. We want, want you to be a part of it because the more people that join, the better deals I can get everybody. So wolfpack.gold. And remember, I, I posted yet uh, last week those 87,000 IRS agents. I've got a product to help you. I've been with them 20 years. It's uh, peoplesprotectionplan.com, peoplesprotectionplan.com. Go, go check that out, folks, okay? peoplesprotectionplan.com for Legal Shield. okay? Uh, go, go look at that. I've been with them 20-plus years. Great product, and it's a way that you can protect yourself. All right, from Beans and the Brave and myself and the whole crew here at, uh, at Wise Wolf and Branson, you guys take care of each other. End of transmission. <laughs>